Also, James, can you imagine if that had been in America? I, I can't, I can't yeah. even. I mean, it wouldn't happen because I would never... And James joins us live from Guantanamo Bay. How are you doing? This is my one phone call. I've used it for Bob Kitchen. Oh my mother. <laughs> So I have a new good bit of advice for people who are traveling and flying. Okay. Don't bring a knife through security at Heathrow Terminal 5. James, how have you got to 2022 and don't know that? Well, <laughs> that it wasn't, it wasn't intentional, but it happened. You brought a knife? It was an experience. Well, I had a Leatherman multi-tool, which has pliers on it right. and a locking black. And I had it in my bag the day before, which I used on a shoot. Like rigging and tightening, like right. lighting equipment. And you know, I've got a flight the next day, and I'm like, that bag's good. I know what's in that bag. Mm. That's going straight on there. And it was in like one of the top flaps. And so you it's don't not normally visible. take it. And I would never, obviously, I know you don't bring a knife into Heathrow. So anyway, I turn up and I'm there with other people for work and we're flying, we're going there for a job. And my bag always, because I take on this, uh, this Peli case with me, it's like a hard Peli case that looks like it has camera equipment and it always needs to be looked at through security. It always gets taken aside sure. and they have to look at it and they, you know, do the thing. So it got taken aside and I'm like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. And the guy opens it, I'm like, oh, it's camera equipment. And he's like, okay. And then um, he just pulls out this <laughs> Leatherman multi-tool, which has like a three inch locking <gasps> blade. Oh. And he's just, and in my heart just sinks, and I go, oh my God. And he goes, right, okay, so this is a knife. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, it is. I'm so sorry. It was an accident. I'm here for work. This is equipment. I was using it professionally in a studio yesterday. He was like, yeah, mate, okay. So you have committed a crime, okay? So you are at Heathrow and you have brought a locking blade, which is a criminal offense. I'm just going to let you know that now. And I was like, yes, I'm so aware. I'm so sorry, what, what happened? He's like, okay, right. So, so what I do have to do now, I do have to inform the police, right? Uh, it, look, I, what's gonna happen is gonna happen. If you just stay there, mate, the best thing for you to do right now is to not move, right? <laughs> just don't move. And I'm like, okay, that's fine, that's fine. So I'm gonna call them, they're gonna come and speak to you. And I was like thinking, I, I said to him, like, level with me, like how much trouble am I in here? Cause like, I was thinking I'm here with work people, like, Am I not getting on the plane? Is this really bad? And he was like, I mean, look, mate, I, I don't know. Like, th th this does happen, but you did bring a knife to Heathrow Terminal 5, right? And I'm like, yes, I know. I'm so sorry. Also, Terminal 5 is very visible, the security bit, isn't yes. it? It's, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Lots it's really open. Yeah. Anyway. This is security as security Everyone's gets. looking, I'm seeing, gawking at you. Everyone's looking. And you know, my, the people I'm going with are both in hysterics and also slightly concerned because I now have to wait for the police. And the police come. How long did the police take to come? Oh, well, they took about 10 minutes. That's an agonizing. It was agonizing. Because I literally, I, I didn't know if I'd really cocked up and like lost myself the job or I'd have, they'd just, they'd take so long that I'd lose my flight. And um, so eventually these, these two, like the guy was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to take your passport. All right. So I need you to just stay here. The police are going to come. All right. <laughs> and he, just, he, bless him, he was like, he was sort of reassuring me, but also was making no promises yeah. that I was going to be like. get is like, it's both like reassuring and terrifying. Yeah, he like, was like, um, right. I mean, like he's, he'd seen it before, yeah. but he was like, it's not good. <laughs> the way he's very simply like, you, you have brought a knife to Heathrow Terminal 5, which, which is a criminal offense. I was like, I'm so aware it is. I'm so, I, so, I said sorry like a million times. And then uh, so eventually these two, these two police women came and uh, 
I got, I swear to God, a good cop, bad cop routine. If there was ever a good cop, bad cop routine, this was it. So there was one with a brun- who was brunette, bad cop, and the other one who was blonde, like super good cop. So the brunette comes up to me. She's like, okay, I'm just going to get you to talk over here. So what I need to let you know, okay, is that you have brought a locking blade into Heathrow Terminal 5. Okay, that is a criminal offence at this. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And I explained that I had it, you know, it really helped that it was in a bag, yeah. not on my person, with like a reason for justifying yeah. it. And that like I explained I'd been working yesterday and that was the reason I was in my bag. And that's probably what saved me from being arrested. And she was like, okay, so at this point, we have two options. You know, they're very like direct and yeah. matter of fact. They've like, learned the scripts. Oh, completely. Oh, and they're recording like me on their little thing. At this stage, we have two options. Okay, we can place you under an arrest. Okay, in which case we'll talk to you in another room. Or at this stage, I need to call my my employer who's going to assess the situation. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I kept explaining. And then the woman who was blonde kept looking at me being like, <laughs> it's fine. And then, like, she went, went away. The brunette one went to go speak to someone on the phone, being like, This guy is what happened. And I said to the blonde woman, I was like, Does this, I was like, How bad is it? And she was like, Oh, just don't do it again. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Does this happen a lot? She was like, Every day. People just forget every single day. And she was so reassuring. And then the brunette woman came back, Right, I'm just going to hear back. If it's a no, I am going to have to place you under arrest. So I need you to stay here. So I got so much like, This is over. Yeah. You're never flying to the States again. Yeah. You're never like, you're going to have a criminal record. The other one being like, Oh, it's just a formality. Yeah. It's a format. They just need to make a call. You're fine. I mean, look, don't do it again. You are aware it's a crime. I was like, I know. I am so yeah. sorry. And uh, all I had to do was just sign like loads of paperwork that I acknowledged what I'd done was wrong and that I understood it wow. and that like I had it. Because um, the, the, the rule on carrying a, a locking blade in the UK is you, you can't unless you have a good reason to do so or you're in a controlled like studio environment or if you're on the street, you're like in an ob- you're obviously like occupationally involved in what you're doing. You can't just like have it on you. And then even if it's in a bag, like you have to have a really good reason and then obviously just like in an airport, you never do yeah, that. Yeah, no. Um, but I was then obviously the butt of every joke that that trip. Like, oh, James, we got your knife on you, coming oh onto everywhere. I would have loved it if, whilst you were waiting for them to make this phone call, that behind you people were taking you Kalashnikovs and swords, <laughs> yeah. just like, yeah, hey, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this guy's got a bazooka, no problem. And then, like, people were taking pictures of me with the police, with the two policemen, and just like begging them not to like yeah. take me away. And then I had other people who weren't involved in the shoot who had seen pictures of me crawling with the police, like, oh, mate, I hear you're in trouble. No. Circulated and um, a bit of advice for you: don't bring a knife, James, through security. That, but I was so embarrassed. You knew that was bad, but you you forgot. Of course, it. I knew it was it's that. It's an honest mistake. mistake. But um, wow, I mean, apparently you, it happens a lot. You're you're going to be part of a training exercise now. There'll be videos of you. Right. Okay, I'm so sorry. All right, I'm class, so sorry. You can see here. What did I say to the gentleman? Yeah. Right, the three S's. You know, secure. Yeah. Safety, stability. The gentleman acknowledged what we said. Yeah. Right, and after that, he was able to clearly progress. But they're so. Um, it, 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 you, you do get this sort of like tone and intonation. Like, this is what's happened. This is what you've done. Yeah. I have two options. It, yeah, but isn't it? It's an exercise in clear communication. Because oh, it's yeah. like these, I'm presenting you with every single fact. There's no black, it's, it's only black and white. There's no gray area that you could get confused about. You yeah. have to know what's going on. Also, James, can you imagine if that had been in America? I, I can't, I can't yeah. even. I mean, it wouldn't happen because I would and never. And James have... joins us live from Guantanamo <laughs> Bay. How are you doing? This is my one phone call. I've used it for Bob Kitchen. my mother. <laughs> No, I can't. No, even. James, I need to get your thoughts on the crown. Especially as like a non-American citizen, I can't even. I'd have been in a room. They didn't take. I thought I was wondering, am I going in the room? No, they're no. gonna get like my year eight that, geography that, that's, test. That's where they're still mopping up the last guy. <laughs> yeah, a guy's just there, like, oh please let me go. <laughs> no, I was worried they'd have like you know my year eight geography test there. Be yeah. like, how come you didn't revise? Mm. 
for that, and then you bring a knife to so, Terminal oh, 5. Oh, you took your year eight geography test here. You don't know the capital of the United States, but you do know the capital of Lebanon. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Okay. I have here in your year two playground report that you pulled Stacy's hair. Mm. Can we just unpack that, please? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Like smoking in my uh, face. Yeah. Listen, you got nothing. You try and do the, uh, what's it, the, um, oh my God, the basic instinct leg cross to try and charm <laughs> yeah. them. So that doesn't work with us, I'm afraid. Yeah. Okay. But you are wearing jeans. <laughs> such different energy from the two of them. Oh it was God. really quite, one of them was like, you might get arrested. And the other one was like, I, f- fine. I feel like a concerned parent now that like, you know, you're going to be like, ah, George, I'm sorry. I, I think I messed up. Messed up. Uh, Do you need me to come pick you up? Right, what terminal are you at? Yeah. I'll be right there, <laughs> yeah. okay? Tell them not to worry. And then I told the guy, one of the guys who's traveling with me to be like, can you just stand near me while, while this is while we're waiting the police and just like be associated with me in the sense that I'm not like a lone male traveler. Like I'm here with people. It just gives me a bit of, you know, <laughs> cred. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll stay with you. Like he was filming or whatever. But that's my advice wow. for you. Wow, yeah. that, that's a story of hell. Right? I feel my heart's beating fast. Yeah, just listen yeah. to it. So, George, I think a show that you and I regard as one of the better shows on Netflix would be The Crown. Mm-hmm. And I think I remember years ago very clearly having a conversation with you when season one of The Crown was out. Mm. And I remember I was on a bus and I remember we were just catching up and talking about things that we were watching. And I remember us both being really excited mm. by season one of The Crown because I think I was definitely not optimistic by the mark about the marketing. Agreed, and I saw the poster on the bus and I remember thinking, oh, I just feel like this is going to be Downton Abbey, but not. Yeah. Royalist like propaganda. Yeah. Royalist propaganda, definitely. I thought maybe all of its moves are going to be very telegraphed and it's going to just sort of tell me every way I need to feel it will never mm. exist in a grey area. And I remember like flicking it on apprehensively on Netflix and being like, whoa, I'm loving this history mm. lesson. The performances are great. Mm. It looks like one of the best shows I've ever seen. I remember catching up with you talking about John Lithgow as mm. Winston Churchill and mm. like Claire Foy, who was brand new to me, mm. just like absolutely killing it and Matt Smith, who we already loved. And we've sort of been watching the show ever since and it's had... Uh, two recastings now because every two seasons mm. the show um the show changes its uh, central cast and it flips through the generations and we've now just started season five of the crown mm. and netflix very kindly gave us early access yeah. to the show so that we could have a watch of the first two episodes to talk about for for you today we are going to the premiere for the crown season five tomorrow but by the but time this, you listen to this yes. it would have been yesterday so go to at hello uh, at popkitchenpodcast.com to see all of that stuff of how we were there but um yeah season five so we've got a new cast this time yes Amelda Staunton is playing the queen we've got Jonathan Price as Philip we've got Dominic West as Charles mm-hmm. Elizabeth Debicki as Diana mm-hmm. there's a couple others that Leslie Manville as Margaret yes um and yeah, we've got a new, a new, a new refresh. John a new Miller cast as, as John Major. As John Major, which I thought was quite interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, a new cast with the same roles. We've watched two episodes. This will be a spoiler-free, yeah. more of a first impressions than a full review. We'll probably catch up in a few weeks when, mm-hmm. we, when we've watched it through. But how are you feeling about not just the episode, huh. but the new little refresh that we've yeah, got? Yeah, well, it's interesting when you talk about it because it's like it is something that you and I look forward to. Yeah. And I think it's worth saying that, you know, Netflix, as you said, were very kind, let us have early access. You and I could, if we had wanted to, have watched the whole thing. But you and I both respect the show enough mm. and the way that we consume content not to just s- inhale this. Sip it like a wine. Absolutely. You know, you wait two years for a season of The Crown and then you get sort of two on two, it's two years on, two years off. Yes, yeah. Okay. And, you know, there hasn't been a sh- series since 2020 and we're just, 
when it comes around, you want to enjoy it and savor it. And so we did. And um, I think as soon as you watch it, you think, right, we're back into it. Mm. Here we go with big production value. Brooding music. Brooding music, incredible visuals. and Silhouetted, cold cinematography. Yeah. yeah. One of the first things that struck me was just like, they have really fired, they are firing on all cylinders with the acting talent they've got together. It's interesting that you said that, you know, Claire Foy was new to you. Yeah. I mean, I'd I'd seen Claire Foy in a couple of things, but... um, this was, I think, you, you're right, the, sh- the show that brought her to a world, worldwide yeah. attention. And she was absolutely fantastic. And um, even with Olivia Colman, like, okay, Olivia Colman had just won an Oscar when she was in, in, in The Crown. But, like, Tobias Menzies was known for, in, up to a TV audience. Yeah. And, and this kind of helped him get wider. Um, but with this one, it's like, everyone knows Imelda Staunton. Yep. Absolutely right for the role. Everyone knows Jonathan Price. Dominic, Dominic West, West has been around for ages yeah, absolutely. doing stuff. You know, and, and Elizabeth Debicki is new, but she's been in films. Um and I, I noticed in the first episode in particular... That TV just veteran like, Jonathan Price as well, uh, yeah, right? right. Yeah. But, and you're just like, here is this talent. And straight away, Dominic West is just into that role yeah. and really sinking his teeth into it, which I love. It's not like, you know, the, the joy of watching Josh O'Connor as Charles was watching this new emerging actor sort of fill out this role before mm. our eyes. This is a different pleasure. It's watching an, a, you know, an actor, a thespian who we know and value. We know he can do a good mm. job. Turn up, be like, that's the script. Okay, here we go. I'm Charles and it's great. Um, I think Jonathan Price is really interesting because he's a great actor. Mm. And I, I love the comparing the two portrayals, all well, the three now portrayals of the same character because Tobias Menzies did a very good job. I really liked him. Yeah. And I think you and I agree that he was like the standout highlight of those two seasons, more so than Olivia Colman. who I think sort of... Uh, just my dis- mother died. Yes. yes. What? Well, I think he should be dragged out and shot. Bloody hell out of here. Bloody disgrace. Whereas Jonathan Price is, is doing a slightly different interpretation. Jonathan Price sounds still like Jonathan Price, mm. right? There's no denying it. He's not doing it. He, he can't get it as razor sharp to accuracy as Tobias Menzies did. But what Jonathan Price does have is that steely focus that Philip had. And you immediately believe him, even though he sounds different and looks different. Um... Imelda Staunton just gets it from the get-go. Her voice, her mannerisms, everything. And look, again, I don't want to retread over this and be too negative, but we were disappointed with Olivia Colman. I know we've said that. And as soon as Imelda Staunton started to speak, I realized what had been lacking the past two seasons. I'm really sorry to say and, and that. And not just, I say, from a performance standpoint, but I also think from what they gave the Queen in seasons three and four to mm, do, I yeah. felt like didn't necessarily give Olivia mm. Colman the, be- the best shot of it. I, yeah. I'm almost like quite, again, as soon as Milda Storm had started, I was like, wow, like she has the same physical tics and mannerisms as not just Olivia Coleman, but Claire Foy. Mm. The way that she goes, oh, and mm. like sort of adjusts herself yeah. and like turning of head. I'm like, that is as true as it's been mm. for four seasons. And I just feel like, like that's really good. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting dynamics that Phillips had in this show is he's always had his wife the queen mm. and he's always been this slightly softer takes himself less seriously oh but you can talk to me mm. i'll have a word he's always mm. sort of been that mediator and i think that's still at least from the first two episodes mm. he's still enjoying that cheeky i'm very important but i'm not that serious mm. kind of kind of character yeah. and that's interesting that he's doing that as well but the voice thing is definitely a point it's it's completely off from yeah Tobias it's, it's jonathan price's voice but it's fine it's like well you pay a price for getting Jonathan Price and, and maybe that's it. Hey. So anyway, that was one of the first things that struck me. It's like, you've got a massive amount of acting talent there. Mm. Elizabeth Debicki is just so magnetic as Diana. Mm. Just completely gets it, completely Those absorbs eyes, it. The wide eyes. The wide eyes, the, the voice. Um, uh, sorry, there's me trying to mimic her. But oh gosh. Yeah, oh gosh, you're going to be such a film now. And it's... And it's just so watchable. But it's really interesting in the first episode as well is how they use the character of Diana to 
as Diana did in, in real life, to real th- throw the rest of the royal family into like sharp contrast. Yeah. And, you know, she's this light, can be very funny, very aloof figure against this stern rigidness. And like they, the way they present Diana and Charles, you could not get two more opposite people, yeah. which is obviously a source of great drama and tension. I think just finishing talking about my acting talent, what really struck out for me was Johnny Lee Miller as John Major. Yeah. Because going into this season, I thought, okay, look, Johnny Lee Miller is a, like a handsome leading man, really, mm. isn't he? He's John Major. You never think of him as like stuffy old Tory. No, John Major, who is famous for having a voice a bit like this, yeah. who's, you know, still around and still features in commentary and, um, you know, famously on Spitting Image was depicted in black and white for being so boring, right? He was just like, yes. oh, hello, nice peas, Norm, my name's John Major. So the idea you, of, you, you know what John Major looks like. He's exactly. got those big 90s, late 80s exactly. glasses. So, yeah. you've, so to have Johnny Lee Miller, Miller, you know, sick boy from Trainspotting, yeah. Um, kind of edgy and cool and uh, yeah it was not went out with Angelina Jolie right exactly (laughs) actor but then lo and behold he really gets it similar to Jonathan Price does not sound like John John Major does not look like John Major but brings the calm steadiness and focus that John Major experienced politician yeah who 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 you know understands is quiet there's a great scene which i won't spoil but where charles basically calls to have a meeting with mm. prime minister john major and he invite and you know he invites him in and charles is for very desperately looking to get an indication of how yeah. john major feels about a certain situation and john major uh, so johnny lee mills as john major does this wonderful thing where he does absolutely nothing but mm. you know everything that's going on inside mm. his head and it's perfectly communicated mm. between the two characters and i was like I, this is i've not seen this actor do anything yeah. like this and it's working and, and I believe it. Yeah, you're right. I've not seen Johnny Miller do something like this. And then what's great in, in terms of like scene construction is that John John Major, the character, then has almost the exact same another audience straight after mm. that scene yes. with the Queen, where he has to do the exact same thing about a different issue. Yep. Um, really, really smart. Um, just start, I just want to pick up on something you said about uh, Diana, which yeah. is that you know we in the last two years we've had three different actresses mm. play very big interpretations mm. of Diana. We've had. Um, what was her name? Emma Corrin. Emma Corrin, uh, Kristen Stewart, and now Elizabeth Debicki. And I thought maybe I would be slightly fatigued at another, like it's like another Spider-Man, yeah. another yeah, Diana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really we're doing another one. And I, and I would just say like I was immediately in. I, yeah. I never felt like it was so different to what I'd had with Spencer or, or uh, Emma Corrin. Mm. And it was, it was, she's very good. Oh uh, yeah, very, very good. And, and, and you know, I feel like she's, this is the role she's been kind of building towards, you know, she's always been incredibly striking. And yeah. whatever, I mean, she's, she's, Six foot three. She's she's tall. She's yeah. my height. And even they don't really hide the fact that how tall Elizabeth Debbie is. I mean, Diana yeah. was tall, but like not six foot three. No, yeah. Um, you know, and she. I first saw her in Great Gatsby. I think most people saw a breakout yes. of Jordan Gatsby. Baker in there. What yeah. Gatsby? It all makes sense, right? That's what she said. And mm. then she's like a bit part in Everest, and then she's in Widows, and then and the Tenet. manager Tenet. Um, I felt so sorry for her in Tenet because she has to do that awful scene where they're on the high-speed yacht racing and they're trying to do a massive amount of dialogue and it's like (laughs) (laughs) Russia in a car like on the other side like this and I'm like that's such a confusing scene it's such a great action scene I know it's just different conversation but anyway um but yeah so I know I've just talked about the great acting talent but what are are your initial takeaways I think what made me feel that warm fuzzy feeling of oh i'm back in the crown is that really great familiar territory of how much it it uses silhouette 
and profile mm. as, a, as a theme and a motif to carry you through this whole series. And you know, it's something you pick up on early on mm. and then you realize how much more important it is that you recognize these people by their silhouette. And you know, what, I think the themes of this series so far, at least in the first two episodes, it's about being old, being irrelevant. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the royal family was under incredible scrutiny in the 1990s. Uh, the press was becoming a completely different beast. Mm. The queen was obviously getting older and therefore by, by becoming less out of touch with society. But it becomes all about how the monarchy is always resilient to change. Mm. And Diana physically and the way she moves and the way she talks is different mm to what the monarchy represents. Mm. And they're so good at contrasting mm. those two things and, and putting it on screen. And I'm like, oh, this is, it's a little bit on the nose, I'll say, but yeah. I'm like, it's good. It's good stuff. It's exactly what you want from your 90s interpretation mm. of, of the royal family in this era. Yeah, there, sorry, no. I mean, That's it, no, go on. No, I was just gonna say that there is, I think there is, depending on how you feel about it, I think you could either, some might find it melodramatic or some might just find it interesting like dramatically. Yeah. What I got a clear sense of is that, in other series seasons of the crown you have uh, a very much episodic structure where you will have a slight running theme but then you'll have a breakaway about one particular subject side they side off a bit a side episode and those are usually very interesting episodes of the crown mm -hmm. i got the impression from the first two episodes that it was like no this is clearly about one thing which mm -hmm. is that the royal family is in a very bad state in or the 1990s war even, yeah. where it's you know we're on the brink of war and it's we're in deep deep crisis wherever you look and that's flagged in the first episode. And obviously there's a bit in the trailer, which is in the first episode where John Lee Miller, John Major rather says, it just feels like it's all about to erupt. And it's like, yes, you do get this very powerful sense that something bad is going to happen. And the audience knows what's about of to happen. Course, so that which course. obviously helps that. Um, speaking of that though, I mean, the, the thing is with Diana is that I don't know whether, it, it's probably partly intentional, but I, 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 don't, I don't want to call it outright discomfort, but um, it's just, Everything with Prince Diana in it is just so sad. It's just, it, it, it's, it's actually quite uncomfortable to watch. And I remember this with the last season is that you're point. watching, you're basically, I mean, obviously this is a character. I mean, there's this constant debate about the crown, yeah. about what's real and what's not. Like, like, you're watching this character, okay. Her life slowly being ruined before her eyes. And um, it is like, no pun intended, but it's like, it is like watching a car crash in slow motion. You're watching mm -hmm. someone's life slowly be destroyed and heading towards a conclusion where we all know where it goes. For entertainment. Yeah. Kind of um, I know that's the thing. And it's like, uh, I, 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 you know, I, there are clearly um, noble intentions in what they're trying to show from her side of the story, which is t totally right. But as an audience member, you watch and you think, this is just, we all know where this is going. And, and so, so like, I felt that when we were in season one or even two, it was 50s and 60s, which is so far removed from where we are, obviously. And when I'm watching a scene between Claire Foy, who's young, and Matt Smith, who's yeah. young, having a big argument as Philip and Elizabeth, and I'm like, yeah, okay, but I, I, it doesn't really affect me as much that this is all just make-believe yeah. because I'm visually in that character's world and yeah. less so like this is really what happened, this yeah. is the real thing, which the show has never been telling you this is exactly what it's done. But what the show has done, which I've always appreciated, is it will give you a moment in history. And sometimes it will, at the end, give you a black screen with a blurb yeah. of fact of what happened, which I always kind of enjoy because yeah. it does so well with its history. And I have, I, do, I have been worried that the closer we get to modern yes. day, the more I'm going to feel a little bit iffy about the stories. And that's not because I'm defensive or critical of mm. anyone. I just like, in terms of whether or not I go, that probably didn't happen. Mm. I, I'm starting to question it more. And the casting of Dominic West as Charles, I find is an interesting one. 
for me, Dominic West is like typecast as sort of a scumbag, bad guy, villain, right. na- like slightly nasty. Like he does a lot of those kind of roles and he's really good at it. And they've immediately, I'm not saying um, the last portrayal of Charles was in any way overly positive, but I do feel like he's getting a very hard time, at least from these two episodes. Mm. Whether or not that's right or wrong is completely up to you, but I'm like, it's it's more of an interpretation of a person who's alive, mm. who's still- Now s- king. Who, now king, who still sort of speaks publicly for themselves. Yes. Whereas Diana has passed away and is almost like um, she's frozen in her mm. own time yeah. capsule. It's, I start to feel more weird about the things that are said. I think Not because I have, I'm protective over Charles, just because no, of no, I, that, I, that I, element of it. But that's, this brings us onto a, like, a wider point, which is actually, can you ever look at this show? And this is my slightly gnawing feeling is, can you ever look at this show as one whole co- cohesive thing? Mm. Because you're right, there is a difference between watching the earlier seasons and a difference now. I mean, the difference now... The test is to ask your parents what they think. Because you and I, yes, it's getting closer to the truth and sorry, getting closer to the present day Mm -hmm. and getting closer to uh, people in it still being alive and and, and in our present world. And we watch it with a degree of, okay, this is getting closer, but we can approach it with an element of objectivity in the sense that like, well, it's a drama. We we weren't, if we were born then, we'd be very, very young. Let's just take a step back, you know. But obviously for our parents, it's vivid to them. Like yeah. the, the events that are going to happen in this season mm-hmm. are incredibly vivid and it is their lifetime. So how they feel about it, you know, and I can, you know, I know I, I haven't even seen the end of these, but I know what this is building up to from what the, how the trailer builds up and obviously what was in the news last year. If anyone will probably know what I'm talking about, but people have a reaction to how they feel about that particular event. Um, I think that... What, but just back to what I was saying about how you can ever view these things as a whole whole product. It, it's an interesting exercise to take a six-season show, which is what it will be, mm-hmm. and change it three times. Or change it, well, t- twice, rather. You know, have three different casts. Um, and how does that work? Because, as we were just saying, Tobias Menzies and Jonathan Price's interpretation, do they overlap? How much do they overlap? Do they overlap much? Princess Margaret between Leslie Manville, Helen Bottom Carter, and Vesta Kirby. So yeah. they don't look like each other. Do they? Do they act like each other? Are you actually watching three different shows? I. I um, and also, The Crown. Can you also split it down the middle and say, as soon as it becomes about Diana and that whole chapter, it just takes a different turn, and that's just the nature of the story. The first three seasons are historical, devoid of kind of. Um, personal conflict in the mm-hmm. sense that you know a dom- domestic personal conflict and we can enjoy that from a historical point of view but as soon as diana arrives on the scene which is a figure who is incredibly popular polarizing people have, have a lot of opinions about this figure the story is not the same it's not a case of this is history it's a case of how do you emotionally feel about this very very famous figure mm. in history? Right? Whereas, how many people alive today are upset about the abdication of the Duke of Windsor? Exactly. Like, I, I know people will be, but people aren't like, oh, oh God, I remember. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No one. Where were you? Yeah, where, where were you? you when, he out when he abdicated the throne to King George VI. Like, no one, yeah. <laughs> no one talks about that. Whereas we talk about like news presenters will talk exactly. about. I remember the flowers. I remember the morning. Queen didn't for say the anything. Same, and, and for that reason, why we never want them you know, you and I have talked about, I don't want them to go too close to the present because mm. that story is still being written. Very much so. It's my problem with This England, which I watched recently about right. COVID in exactly. 2020, which I just felt was far too um, soon. Sorry, the event, I think I can say this because uh, I, I loosely, yeah, the, yeah. Bashir, the Bashir interview, which yeah. this is the thing, <clears throat> that happened 25, now 26 years ago, but informa- new new information yeah. came out about that last year, which is like revelatory actually, mm-hmm. and completely changed the way people saw that. And I'm hoping 
for that when this features in the crown that that's been written after that to include that i yeah. would think it'd be very worrying if they've included the Bashir interview. We're trying not to we give away too many plot points about what's happened. But we haven't seen it. Obviously, so. we, haven't, we haven't finished it. And, you know, it's based on history, so we know what happens. But I don't want to sort of ruin the crown's depiction of it. Yeah. Because that's cool. Also, so also interesting is that I, you and I probably know the tent poles of what happens to the, the royal family of the 90s and the history. But yeah. like, but that's what I'm saying about our parents. They will know everything that happened in it. Yeah. And they'll have their own opinion on that as a result. Whereas we're just taking it kind of, I don't know. And uh, Sorry, one more thing as well is that you mentioned that scene between John Major and Prince Charles in the first episode, mm -hmm. which John Major recently, a couple of weeks, came, heard about and came out and said it's absolutely preposterous. And since then, by the way, Tony Blair has right. also come out and said they're taking huge liberties. It's absolute nonsense. Mm -hmm. And it did get me thinking, right, because the scene you're talking about and people see this in the first episode between Charles and John Major, when Prince Charles, as you say, is trying to get John Major's opinion on a very particular issue, it's a very um, bold really thing, conversation bold. that they're having. And I did think... Are we letting this off the hook because it's prestige drama? Because it's if that scene had worse dialogue, season, if this was season one of the show. Would you be more upset? No, you wouldn't. But but my point is, if if that scene had worse dialogue, would we would we probably? Would, would we, my point is, is it actually? Could you argue, to put it crudely, just peddling bullshit under the guise of prestige television, mass masquerading under high budget? but actually making very bold claims that it can't substantiate. Is this why it's sensitive? But I, I it's, don't know. It's a huge debate. It's entertainment. You've got to think, like, if you're the actor for... Uh, if you're Dominic West playing Prince Charles, you've got to think, okay, I am a, I am a prince of the longest-standing monarch. Maybe not at that time yet. I don't know. But she's like, he's like, he is a prince in waiting. He will have opinions. He yeah. will be restless. He, he, this is who the character is. Yeah. And someone writing a narrative of who this person is will be like, well, that's what I'm going to interpret. They're, no one knows the private conversations. Yeah. And I think what, what The Crown has always done well is it's never really retold you things you already know. Mm. It's, already, it's always sought to show you the conversations that happen behind closed doors that you never would have heard. Mm. And I think in order to do that, you have to make some shit up, yeah. which probably never, ever happened. I think it's almost a comment on actually, though, how close the viewing public and the British public still are to the royal family. Mm -hmm. Because if the, if, the, if the British public didn't care, they wouldn't be outraged. And the fact is, like, there is, you know, some people getting their you know, pearl clutching because they... And the Queen only very recently passed away, so sure, exactly. it's obviously still a thing for a lot of people. But but getting back to the actual content of the show... Yeah, is it good? Back to first Based on the first two episodes, I, I'm, I'm really excited. I, I particular the second mm -hmm. episode really had a lot of tension in it, and I thought, this is really building yes. something dramatic. Back into my very good, warm uh, crown tattoo. As a classic thing of the episode being about something, but really it's about something else. Yeah. So there's this whole sub subplot in the second episode, not a spoiler, about Prince Charles... Um, sorry, Prince Philip and carriage riding, mm -hmm. which could be about carriage riding, but it could be also be about so much metaphor more. metaphor for something else. Um, by the way, great to see Natasha McKellen in it, who people will know from The Truman Show and yes. Solaris. Yeah. The most big famous actress. eyes ever. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic expression, um, expressionful, expressive face. Ugh. Um, and was around the uh, you know, late 90s, early noughties, then kind of went away for a bit, came back and designated Survivor, and I'm just like, great to see you still around. Good on you. There are, you know, you mentioned before about it has its mainline story and then sometimes it veers off and yeah. comes back in. I feel like, you know, there have been a couple of really great ones in The Crown. I think about, you know, Philip's time at Gordonston and how mm. that framed him. And, you know, obviously everything with the Duke of Windsor, I thought was 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 brilliant. But there, is, there are a couple of things I think of that I go, ah, oh, that was, I don't know, I feel like it's a little bit of a sidestep, a little bit of waffle. 
Not in this new one? No, like in previous yeah. times. We're like, okay, I didn't really need that size for it. And I wonder how much this is going to also veer off considering the trajectory it's heading to. Because it is, it's 10 episodes still. Yeah. It's a lot of episodes to, to depict. They're going to do what? 89 to 97? I don't think they go to 97. Oh. I think the thing that happens in 97 is, is next, next season. season. Yeah. Do you think? They'll... Well, yeah, because um, Blair... It's it's all oh, just yeah, Blair's not in this. Year, I, I think I think oh, it's Anna's Horribilis this yeah, season. This, this season, yeah, 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 yeah. But I think you'll. I think uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't <laughs> well, know. There you go. I, I, well, By I, the yeah, time just, people are listening to this, they probably watch more episodes than we have. Yes. But the thing is, but I think on the whole, I think if you like The Crown, you know, welcome We're back. back. You'd enjoy it. The fact is, the show has just morphed and changed, and you're going to get perhaps less history lessons, but more entertaining drama, mm. as opposed to actual educational, oh, that was a really interesting thing I didn't know about the 1950s and 60s period of the yeah. Queen's reign, right? It's a char- maybe think of it, it's just the character of Charles and Diana, it's not them. Yeah. And, it, and it's the acting that people put into it, it's the production mm. design, it's, oh, the, it looks it's the value. beautiful. Just enjoy, I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure they use natural light for so much of it. If they're not, it's uh, it's just really naturalistic lighting that looks fantastic. When we go to the premiere, which we're, which weirdly again would have been yesterday, yeah. we're watching the first episode again. Or also on Instagram. Right? But I'm absolutely fine with that because every time I watch an episode of The Crown, like we said, mm. they've taken so long to come to you and produce. You want to watch them twice. They're so detailed. Yeah. And there have been a couple of Crown episodes I've gone back and watched again because so much work mm-hmm. goes into them. Anyway. Guys, let us know your thoughts. I'd love to hear thoughts. On The Crown. Do you agree or disagree with what we've said? Mm-hmm. Are you excited? Have you never watched it? I, I, I know some people who just dive in at like season four. Yeah. You know, don't care about the previous ones. And a lot of people I've spoken to are like, really? The Crown? And I'm like, no, That's give it a thing. chance. Please, it's really good. It's not what you think. So if you haven't given it a go, this is my recommendation to start from season one. You've got four, i oh, sorry, you've got four, yeah, you've got four really good seasons mm. of TV to watch. Um, Five now. Yeah. And uh, let us know. Hello at popkitchenpodcast.com if you want to send us your thoughts, your questions, your concerns. There you go. Yeah. I hope we enjoyed the premiere. I hope we did as well. <laughs> yeah. Did we look happy? Who knows? It's weird doing this time stuff. Yeah. <laughs>can send us your thoughts, your questions, your concerns to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Just like Claire did. Claire writes in and she says, Dear James and George, I've been listening to you guys for a couple of months now. Brackets, insert obligatory, I discovered you guys on TikTok comment. And I'm always thrilled when I notice a new episode has been dropped. You've been amazing company on my commute, as well as a treasured distraction from laborious Excel-based work tasks. You You click on those boxes. You can do it. Multiply those cells. My husband and I found out last week that we are expecting our first child. Still, of course, very early days, but we are so, so excited nevertheless. We both love films, with horror being our favorite genre. This is a love we're hoping to share with our children, but of course we are fairly (laughs) limited in what we can show them, with many of our favorites likely to be held off until they are much older. Which begs the question, which gateway horror films did you enjoy growing up? And are there any more recent ones that you can recommend to us? Beetlejuice is one of my favorites when I was younger, although some scenes did freak me out. The Sixth Sense was also played often in my family Mm -hmm. home and is now one of my absolute favorites, to the extent we're considering the name Cole if we have a boy. Love you both. Keep up the good work and hope you have a good Halloween. Many thanks, Claire. Well, Claire, first of all, a big congratulations to you on your news. Um, And we can't wait to welcome the youngest Pop Kitchen listener to the world. (laughs) As soon as they're born, just plops (laughs) right around that mid-10. Great question. So... 
James, you need to oil these. I know, it's really creaky. It's I'm awful. very sorry. I need some WD-40 yeah. on there. Um, anyway, uh, great question about gateway horror. Look, gateway I'm not a horror. horror person to mm-hmm. ask, but I will say this. I did try and watch The Shining when I was seven. Have we talked about this? <laughs> I think you did. You know, you when I, you I, I bugged my up. parents for ages, I want to watch The Shining. And they were like, Terrible no. idea. And then eventually I just wore them down and I found it in the like the TV guide. Yeah. I was like, just on Sky Movies. Just, and like, All right, well, and they were like, okay, we'll watch it then. And they yeah. knew, they could see, they're like, okay, you want to watch The Shining? We'll show you The Shining. Yeah. And I got like 20 minutes in and it was the blood coming out of the elevator. It was the, the, the twins. Awful. And I, I was like, ah! um, But I will say that uh, the film that really freaked me out was the Keenan and Kel movie, um, which had, <laughs> right? There's, there okay. was a Keenan and Kel movie, which to remember. an adult, when you watch it, is a horror parody, right? With right. The house, like, <laughs> but oh, this actually sounds but, really But familiar. to a five-year-old, it is just um, a, a horror, horror film, film about the headless horseman living in a town called Rockville. And there'll be people in like this haunted house, like getting like picked off one by one. And it freaked the bejesus out of me. Mm. I remember saying to my dad at one point, I was like, where's Rockville? And he was like, huh? What do you mean? Where, where, I don't know. Just, it's somewhere. Oh, it's like, over the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that re- I, that, I can remember that really, really terrifying me. Um, Beetlejuice is a good shout though. Yeah. Beetlejuice is funny. I, I, I mean, you know what, what film we mentioned the other day when we did the greatest op- film openings of all time, which is Wes Anderson's Scream. I mean, like, I don't know what Wes age Wes Anderson's Scream? <laughs> I'd love to see <laughs> Wes Anderson's Scream. I mean, what's your favorite scary movie? I mean, Wes Craven's. I'd also love to see Wes Craven's Grand Budapest Hotel. God. Wes Craven's Scream. I mean, I don't know what age you're thinking of starting, but that's a good, like, kid teen one. And then one I will say, which is a kid's movie, but it really freaked me out as a kid, is the, I want to say it's like a 1990 Roald Dahl's The Witches. Oh, right. And Ro, uh, Rowan yeah. Atkinson is in it as like this sort of Basil Fawlty character. And the uh, there's a scene, which I think was in my Nightmares Forever, which if you know Roald Dahl's The Witches, when they all turn into yeah. their like true form. With prosthetics. And, it? and it's the most horrifying prosthetics. If just Google um, 1990, the, 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 the Grand yeah. High Witch. It is the most awful thing you've ever seen in your life. And there's a moment where, you know, he get, he eats the chocolate and he gets turned into a mouse. Um, but there's this amazing part in that scene where the witches secretly have purple eyes and this is one moment like they love to hunt children and he's in his treehouse and this like very nice looking woman comes up to the treehouse and she's like hello would you like some chocolate and because his grandmother told him about witches and that they have purple eyes she sees this purple glint in her eye and he knows that like she's an evil witch I haven't watched it in probably 15 years but that really did scare me as a child another one which is kind of a basic bitch answer but Harry Potter (laughs) 1 The scenes in the Forbidden Forest in Harry Potter 1, if you are young, I'm sort of like six, seven, eight years old, that will freak you out. When um, he slowly walks towards him and he's feasting on the unicorn blood and he looks up with the fangs and he realizes that was Voldemort in the forest. Scary stuff. I would also say um, Psycho. Because Psycho, as an, like, when the younger you are, the more horrifying horror it is. Yeah. Older you are, the more of a thriller it is, right? And like, uh, Psycho is a great film. Like, uh, yeah. Hot take. Great. Who knew? Psycho, great movie. Oh, oh. oh yeah. Wow, amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think you can watch that. The younger you are, the more freaked out by that you'll be. Whereas, and what an introduction role. to Hitchcock, right? For that person, yes. yes. Yeah. I, I, I thought you were saying that was his first film, James. <laughs> yeah, well, no. actually, you'll think you'll I'm find... saying, like, if you're going to start totally. with. I also think um, 79 Alien. Mm, great. Because it's, yeah. it's, it's slow and it's brooding and it doesn't jump scare you in the face, but it has such a wonderful crescendo to, to some incredible horror. And it's, it's actually, quite, I, it's e- I think it's easy to watch if you're not. If you're I would actually almost say The Shining as well, actually, even though it freaked the young. But actually, you think about it, The Shining isn't like I don't overly know what age scary. Would, it's just yeah. like, 
it just, imagery and, it's and ideas. It's very unsettling. That's what it is, unsettling imagery. I can't, I can't say what age you should start. I don't know what age you want to sky your child at, but, um, you know. There you go. You've got, you've got a rich pickings there. This, By the way, so oh. you mentioned the witches. I am so disappointed that you, after you banged on about the first one that you haven't gone and watched Hocus Pocus 2. I know. I, I, it's, I've heard terrible things, by the way. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> yeah, you, you were like, oh, called. Hocus Pocus. I, I was like, all right. Put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> Do a Hocus Pocus You want a 15-minute review. I want the whole thing, yeah. So I went to go yeah. see Hocus. It is starring. <laughs> <laughs> <And> what a... <laughs> This next one is from Elliot. He writes in and says, Hi, guys. Long I sound time a bit more enthusiastic. This next one's email. from Elliot. Thank Elliot, you. thank you so much for writing in. He says, Hi, guys. Long time watcher. Second time writing in. Thank you very much. Hello. And of all the places I discovered you, it was from an Instagram short that I randomly popped up on my feed and I've been following nice. ever since. God bless that algorithm. What even is a TikTok, he says. <laughs> and it's not an Instagram short. It's Instagram reel, but you know, it's a mess right now. Who knows YouTube what they are? Real, yeah, well. My random question to you today is about martial arts movies and whether or not you think the genre is still alive and kicking or something <laughs> more belonging in the past. I sincerely miss the early noughties era of films like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or House of the Flying Daggers. I would love to see another epic martial arts film to this scale in the modern day. The presence of actors like Jackie Chan, Chow Yun-Fat and Jet Li is sorely missed in my opinion. Do you think this film genre will ever return or has it evolved into something more in the vein of the John Wick movies, which equally are great mm. movies, but I do miss the Asian-centric themes and world design as well as the floaty fluttering wire effects as poorly as some of them may have aged mm. keep up the great guys congrats on passing 900 subs you'll be flying over that 1k threshold in no time Yay, at all thank all you. the best elliot thank you elliot. good question um i don't really have an answer to that but what i will say i think you're right an interesting point when he's like oh does the john wick movies pick that up in that it sort of embraces the idea of like longer takes more physical, choreographed bringing almost like the balletic dance-like choreography mm -hmm. of kung fu movies um like the raid like you know raid, raid, i know raid. that's not technically kung fu but like i think you can draw a genetic link mm -hmm. to it but i really don't know enough about kung fu films i haven't seen crouching tiger i haven't seen house of flying daggers house of flying daggers is awesome is it it's really cool i i watched that on a psp Whoa! You could buy, you used to have this unique little disc format called UMDs, Universal Media Disc, which is ironic because it was not universal. universal. <laughs> it was universal. It was, just a it was like a really proprietary uh, format that, like, I just have loads of random UMDs somewhere in my bedroom. But I watched that on a PSP, and it was something so cool about watching this film on a little handheld thing. How's Find Dog is awesome. I have seen Crouching Tiger, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but I don't remember it well. I used to sometimes watch Jet Li movies on Sky when I would see them. I don't remember the names of them weirdly, but I do remember watching them and thinking they were cool, but I was quite young. I got one for you. You want a blast from the past as well? You said PSP. How's this for a kung fu movie? Mm. Bulletproof Monk. Yes, Bulletproof Monk with Sean William yeah, Scott. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that film. And uh, that film, I remember, because I rented that from Blockbuster. Of course. Like exactly. a, a sleepover, course. a sleepover film. Begins with like, the Nazis in the Himalayas. Oh my God, it does. And like they're, they're shooting and then like he's ageless. And then they, they want the, the Nazis have been around for ages. Yeah, they never left. And they want the MacGuffin because the MacGuffin. And, and the writing goes on your back and then you yeah, have the power. But, but he tricks them and at one point it's like noodle soup. And I think Denise Van Outen is in that movie. Is it? Like TV presented Denise Van Outen. Really? Like, yeah. Um, and then like there's like a break dancer who knows Kung Fu as well. <laughs> it's... It's rubbish. It's oh, absolute yeah. rubbish. I've seen it though. But I've, yeah, so have I. And I remember because the guy's a Desert Eagle in it. And I was like, wow. But that would that was a film that would just like eternally on a blockbuster shelf. Yeah. Bulletproof Monk. 
This next one's from Thomas, who says, hi, fellas. Hope you're doing well. Hi, uh, yeah, thank you, yeah. Thomas. Hope Just you wanted too. to start a conversation on trailers. When someone says that like that, it's like when your boss says, can I just have a word? Can we just have a little chat in yeah, the meeting room when um, no one else is around to hear? Yeah, that sounds a little bit ominous, but go on about trailers. The golden age of the trailers is dead. I feel like I can't watch any trailer or teaser for a film now for fear of too much of the plot mm. being revealed mm -hmm. and the mystery being completely taken away. Some recent offenders being Don't Worry Darling mm -hmm. and Nope off the top of my head. What's going on? All the best, Tom. Good question, Tom. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. um, we actually did an episode quite a while ago now about our favorite trailers. Do you remember mm -hmm. we did mm -hmm. that? Um, some great ones there. Go, Go back, back and listen to it. it. Um, yeah, Don't Worry Darling showed too much. I don't remember Nope giving away too much, but the point is absolutely. I, I have Marvel's this thing. Doing a lot, giving up too much. I, I have this thing where I, I watch a trailer once. That's mm. it. Or, or try and avoid it. If I know I'm probably going to see the film, I don't need to watch the trailer. Like, I just need to know who's in it. Who's it by, you know, directed, and what's it roughly about? I could yeah. just read the synopsis. Even the written synopsis is too much. You know what I do now when um, me and my girlfriend are going through Netflix to find something, you know, the endless scroll, and you know, you're like, what, let's watch a trailer. and watch a trailer for it. No, so never, I do, I, never. I have to do this thing now where I go, I need to find out if she likes it before to the end of the trailer. So we'll start the trailer, and 10 seconds in, I'll go, do you want to watch it? Because if you're decided yeah. now, let's stop. Yeah. And then she, she never really sort of does. But I'm like, if I know, I could be like, yeah, that's fine. I'm in or I'm not. I, 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 have, I know a couple of people who are like, yeah, well, should we watch this? Let's watch the trailer beforehand. I'm like, that's just going to completely kill it because that's so recent in your memory. Mm. You'll be watching that film going, oh, yeah, but that was the bit in the trailer. Do you know why, Do you know what that absolutely kills is comedies? Yeah. Because you go, you get well, that joke was in the trailer. The trailer the that, that joke yeah. was in the trailer. I um I think I did compliment uh, the Black Panther two trailer recently for being mm. I thought it gave me a really good sense Evocative. of what that film's about yeah. without telling me what happened, and um, I think that ever since that first trailer for Star Wars: The Force yes, Awakens which came we out, about in that episode. which we talked about, I don't think I think trailers have never been the same. Mm. I think they are still ripping off. The not the first teaser, I mean the first trailer, sorry, yeah. where, where you take your theme, put a reduced piano over it, have it build and crescendo. Like, I still think everyone is trying to capture that yeah. magic. And um, I think, unfortunately, that has been to the detriment of a lot of movies. The Force Awakens trailer didn't reveal shit. Mm. You knew nothing about yeah. that film. And I think, yeah, we are in a bad place where they're just desperate to get you to come in and see it. A good movie trailer, and I think we talked about this in the episode, is one that you want to watch again. Mm. You just want to watch again because it's like, like, like a video it. in its own way. Go listen to our go listen to our old episode. We, we, you can we find were, it but, on the feed. But, but children, when we did that episode, James, yes. many moons ago. Naive. We did food. Next one is from Matthew. Hi, gents. Big fan of the podcast. You are both brilliant, and your podcast oh. really helps keep me going when I'm working from home. Matthew, Thank stop you. it. Thank you so much. I also made me fall back in love with cinema. Oh, sorry, it also made me fall back in. It's also can made me fall back. Question, can you read? It's so small. On my email, it is literally like size okay, 9 font. Right. I usually like to copy it onto a Word doc in size 14, but we don't have time. It's also made me fall back in love with cinema after That's becoming great. tired of it for a while. Keep up the great work. I always look forward to your latest podcast. Hey, man, that happens. Don't get it up. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the superhero genre. However, as I write this, I'm listening to episode 48, where your news section was filled to the brim with superhero-related yes. news. That was last week. Go check it out. I'm growing fatigued of superhero films slash content. Mm. So I was wondering, when do you think, like me, audiences will become too fatigued of the superhero genre and will start to vote with their feet and not tune in to any of the more uh, to any more of the year's hottest superhero releases when will the superhero genre bubble burst if it will at all all subgenres become popular boom and then die off for example westerns yeah. film noir slasher horrors musicals gangster films etc 
The current superhero bubble has been popular since the early 2000s with the releases like Spider-Man, yeah. the Raimi franchise, X-Men franchise, and Nolan Batman films. And it feels like a run of nearly 20 years is longer than most genre trends. I feel superhero films should possibly be entering the end of their life cycle in cinema where they become less commonly seen than they are now. To link back to your conversation a few weeks ago on which streaming... Actually, let's answer this before... Actually, no, I'll just finish it. To link back to your conversation a few weeks ago on which streaming service will go under first, I think the superhero genre could, could define what happens to major streaming services. Disney Plus will definitely not go under and cease to exist. However, it feels like it has the most to lose when slash if the superhero bubble finally bursts, which I think it could give a second lease of life to Netflix, Amazon, and a couple of the others if they get some great original content similar in scale to the early MCU, which they can then grow and develop over time. What are your thoughts? Keep up the great work fellas matthew that was a Bloody, lot huge but question start with the okay. first bit I, I think i i think i i think i have an answer it's growing fatigue go on about no well the idea of that the superhero genre is going to burst it's almost too big to burst as such right now because there there are entire like marvel is an entire machine machine built on superhero content right and disney's output is entirely built on on you know marvel content bringing Star in super yeah exactly right so uh, I don't see it ever bursting as such, or if it does, it's going to take a very long time. What I think is going to actually happen is that it will just diversify its content so much. It will just keep, as soon as they start to re re realize people are fatigued, they'll continue to try and stay ahead by bringing in new directors, new voices, different characters, and just keep expanding the goalposts to try and cover as much ground. So when people can't define it as, can't limit it as, a superhero genre. Before, when you used to say superheroes 20 years ago, it would just be people in capes, right? Mm. But now, you know, how does Guardians of the Galaxy work next to She-Hulk, work next to... Werewolf so, by Night. Werewolf by Night, exactly. Werewolf by Night, perfectly good example. Like, yeah. Keep diversifying your content. Spread your content. doesn't matter whether it's good or not, I guess, but like... I mean, I, don't I, like I it, care. don't watch it, someone exactly. else will. It's just like, well, we're just going to keep making it, just mm. changing it, changing it, changing it, so you never feel you're that tired about it, and you'll never feel like you're watching the same thing over and over again. Um, but I, I think, yeah, ultimately, things will move on. But like, I don't see like a bigger fish coming along and eating the superhero genre. It's more this like new. Yeah. the superhero genre will see what other trends are coming along and just subsume that and mm. then make that part of the machine in the same way they've been doing with talented directors for ages. Like, oh, you're coming up with an interesting thing over there. Why don't you come work for us and you can build and then you make us bigger and stronger. People come in and they come back out. Directors come in and come back out. But yeah. we sort of mentioned a few times that it's like it's... Obviously, they are films and it's its own genre, but it's its own new format of entertainment almost yeah. of how it's all connected yeah. and everyone's trying to outdo each other with what universe they can link together. Yeah. Um, it's almost yeah. its own type of media. I will be slightly depressed, but interested to see in 10 years what the state of it is. Because I don't think I would have predicted this much 10 years ago. Well, I think we're... It is like watching the economy in a way. We're in like the, the we're it's like in the high eighties at this point. I think we're in like the decadent. We're like nineteen eighty six, and yeah. I feel like the nineteen eighty seven crash may be around the corner somewhere. Uh, a, not not a complete yeah. wipeout, not two thousand and eight, yeah. but like a reawakening, a cold slap in the face. Well, yeah, we don't really have an answer, but definitely an interesting conversation. Our news. Sorry, guys. It's probably going to always be very much dominated by uh, superhero yes. films. Much as we try to keep talking about loads of different interesting things, it's just everywhere. And we yeah. sort of are still kind of interested in covering it. 
This next one's from Daniel. He says, hi, guys. Hey. Saw your TikToks of the quickfire games a while ago, and I've recently got around to listening to your podcast. Good, good. I love the Oscars and loved your Oscars episode. Oh, great, yeah. Go back and listen to it. That's why we do games at the end. <laughs> 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 to get you to come. Yes, and yes, join us. I, too, saw Empire of Light at the London Film Festival, and I have the same feelings towards the film as George. Oh, George Olivia yeah. Coleman is great, but it's not her best performance. And whilst Roger Deakins is one of the best cinematographers oh, yeah. ever, the film just didn't showcase how amazing he can be. Mm -hmm. I thought the film was nice, but with Sam Mendes and Deacons coming off the back of 1917, I think everyone was expecting something amazing, but mm -hmm. the film just didn't deliver for me. Have a great day, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. You have a great day too. Um, yeah, look, Empire of Light is out in January. Yeah, Everyone go see it. I, I, I'm Check out George's review on the channel. I feel the same way, which is it's, it's, it's weak. It's a shame. This next one is from Lucy, who says, mm -hmm. Hi, love the podcast. Thank you. I was browsing films the other day and I randomly decided to watch Speed, brackets, yeah. an old diehard style action movie with Sandra Bullock <laughs> and Keanu Reeves. I didn't know, with no context. The villain was very cheesy, but overall I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. It didn't end where I expected to and was a pretty fun watch. It made me realize how I think I've enjoyed pretty much everything I've seen Sandra Bullock in. <laughs> I think she's a good all-rounder and there's just something nice and cozy about her. Hmm. Love the podcast and I can't wait for, uh, for the next episode. Thanks, Lucy. Very nice email. Um, have you seen Speed? I, uh, on the, in the, but not properly, no. Like, uh, ages ago in the background, I've seen images yeah, of it. I've but seen not... it probably once 10 years ago, but I remember having a really good time. Mm. I think, you know, it's like Die Hard, you know, it's just a solid, great, dependable film to rely on. Um, Dennis Hopper's great in that. Jeff Daniels is great in that. If you think Sandra Bullock's great in everything, though, try Speed 2, Cruise <laughs> Control, where it's speed on a boat. Okay? I still think you can put Sandra Bullock anywhere and she'll do, she'll do, she'll put it up in space and gravity. You can put it down in Miss Congeniality. Not you can it. turn up the heat in the heat with Melissa McCarthy. Is that good? I've heard that's good. The heat is it just heat or the heat? No, the it's heat. the heat because heat's different film. Heat's the Al Pacino. Yes, yeah, it's a different film about policemen. Uh, that I remember putting on, being very cynical, be like, oh, it's going to be another like sort yeah. of Paul Fagg esque yeah. comedy. And me and Talia were just laughing. Yeah, I've heard it's good. Asses off. Right, okay. I, I have, I, I do want to say, I, I might be fatigued on the Melissa McCarthy comedy style now. Right, the shtick. But I was howling with laughter. Do you know what puts me off? Is that the heat is two hours long. And I look at that film, it's like long, that should be 90 minutes. Yeah, it's a longer one. Yeah. But okay. I might, it's like, it's kind of like the other guys. Okay, yeah. Got it. Right. It might, might not be your thing. Sure. This last one is from James, who says, hi, chaps. Hey, Hope all is well. Firstly, I must say, I do really love your podcast and look you. forward to them every week. I really enjoy listening to them whilst cooking, which seems to be a theme amongst other fans. Yes, it you're, is. You're, you're one of the only people who is still cooking. It is. We got rid of that ages ago. I wanted to ask, having listened to Mark Kermode's review of Living, where it mm. seems the film was particularly poignant to him because of the themes of not having infinite time to do slash achieve mm, things wow. in life. I noticed you didn't really touch on this as much as he did. So do you think you were slightly outside the film's true target audience, perhaps? I would also like to ask if there is a film you had seen where you were younger but didn't really get but have watched when older and enjoyed it more or were more impacted by. We have answered a this similar. question a couple of times. So let's ignore that, but please go back. We've answered that about, you yeah. know, growing up and realizing different things about films. Sorry, my WhatsApp's going off. But um, yeah. he says, best James, P.S. I've written in before, but it's just an extremely common name. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, but yeah, just George, um, a comment on Living about, right. yeah. Yeah, so that's an interesting one. So Living, which we reviewed for the first part of the London Film Festival yes. one. Um, that idea that uh, is a different cross-section of the audience, a different demographic of the audience what, responding to it differently mm -hmm. than... it's a very, like, I, I think it's great if a film can draw out different responses 
from different parts of the audience. And I think it's, it makes total... I haven't listened to Kermode's review, but it makes total sense that Kermode, a man in his mid to late 50s, would be feeling a certain way after watching that film. But what I would say, having, having seen Living as well, is that there are still moments... You know, I watched that film as a son and I, uh, uh, with a father, whereas some people would watch that, maybe Mark Coma watches that as a father with a son, mm, right? Completely. And your relation, he might see Bill Nye as a proxy for himself, whereas we would see as a proxy for people we love yep. who are older. Different reactions, but same kind of feeling, which is great. And like, I, go on. No, no, you finish your point. Mine's well, silly. Mine's, okay, good. Yeah. I will get my serious. <laughs> and I did say this the last time we answered this question, and I'm just going to say it again because everyone needs to go do their homework. Because when we do talk about the before <laughs> films, we should like ring a bell every time I mention g'ding, it. G'ding. Yeah. But what I do love about mm. that trilogy is the whole point that those films are locked in time. George's favorite trilogy. Thank you. We will cover them. James is doing his homework. Mm. But how I feel about it has changed how, I, how I've got older. Mm. So how I felt about the first one is different now to when I was the same age as those characters. I'm now older. I'm more, and my relationship to the second one where the characters are similar to that age. When you watch it again in 20 years. And, and I, I know in 10 or 15 years time, my relationship without saying anything about it to before midnight will be different. And then I will look back and my relationship. So you're going to be yapping on about these for 50 years. But that, <laughs> is, that is why those films are so good mm-hmm. because they, they resonate on different levels depending on where you are in the time frame of your life and where those films exist as well, locked. So uh, just a weekly reminder to go do your homework, everyone. Now and we'll do those at some point. And you bear with me. You do your homework. Now yeah. for my silly point after a really nice, profound comment. Thank you. Is that, you know, like when you get a dog or like you Here have you a baby, right. I don't have a baby, but like all of a sudden, like anything happening to a dog on the screen, you're like, oh no, no, I just can't, I can't even. Or like if you ask a new parent about like a child getting kidnapped, they go, oh my God, I just can't. I can't even... The idea of it, yeah. but it's like I can't see a dog or an elephant or any animal on screen get hurt, and I actively will take points off a film if it kills the dog because mm. it's just so distressing to me. Yeah, but how does that relate to your? <laughs> well, you're saying like you're saying if you if you're a certain age, you've experienced certain things that makes you connect with it a different right. way. So if, you if have the dog, dog dies, you... forget about it. I'm 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 in bits. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, all. You have to be a pretty stupid film to just. Be a pretty stupid person. To take John Wick. Though, I guess it makes it because of a point. But... Oh, I, don't, I don't want to think about it. I don't, I, George, <laughs> George, I don't I just want can't. to talk about it. I just can't. I'm ending the email segment All right. here. Thank you very much for writing in. Uh, we absolutely love your emails. And if you wanted to send us your thoughts, your theories. No, I've got a thought for George. The before yeah. films are shit. Yeah, Stop please. banging on about them. Send it in. You can do. Uh, to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. And we will do our best to read it out on the show. We will. Thank you. As ever. We, we do genuinely love reading them out. The best. You know, I sometimes feel like when we play our games, it's almost like revising for our own podcast. It's like we're testing, do you know this and who is in it and yeah. what year? I, like, I get triggered sometimes from like doing French vocab with my dad. <laughs> like, Creon, I don't know. Je joue, tu joues. Je voudrais. Yeah. This is a new game right. for us. Okay, so... I'm going to, as always, it's going to be a sort of listicle quick fire. I'm going to read you a film mm. and you have to tell me who directed it. Oh. It's just going to be, so it'll be a bunch of different directors, you, but I'll just list you a film and you have to say blah, blah, blah. You've upped the difficulty then. 
A little bit. That's niche. All right. I'm trying to keep it fairly interesting. And Sound a bit more confident when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> this is for people who really know their films, okay? You have to guess the movie director from their film. Ready? Three, two, one. Knocked up. Judd Apatow. Titanic. James Cameron. Dallas Buyers Club. Jean-Marc Vallée. Yes. American Psycho. Mary Harron. Yes. The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, um, Irving Kirshner. Yes. It Happened One Night. Billy Wilder. Frank Capra. <clears throat> Batman Returns. Uh, Tim Burton. Yes. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Wes Anderson. Yes. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Francis Ford Coppola. Yes. Die Another Day. <laughs> you know the film. <laughs> Lee Tamahori. The Mummy, 1999. Stephen Sommers. Yes. <laughs> you would know that one. Yeah. Super random. not Stephen Soderbergh. No. Sommers. Yeah. Not Spielberg. Not Stephen Sondheim. Sommers. <laughs> Thank you. Right, that's round one. Okay. Ready? Right. You did very well. Oh, I like this game. Okay. Okay. Round two. Ready? Three, two, one. Minority Report. Steven Spielberg. Yes. Boogie Nights. Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes. Donnie Darko. Richard Kelly. Yes. Serpico. Uh, Sidney Lumet. Oh, Men in Black. That is Barry Levinson. No, no, no. Barry Levinson. No, Barry Sonnenfeld. Yes. 28 Days Later. Uh, Danny Boyle. Yes. The Patriot. Uh, Michael Bay? No, Roland Emmerich, but oh, close. close yeah. X-Men 2. X-Men 2, Brian Singer? Yes. A Good Year? Ridley Scott? Yes. Master and Commander, Far Side of the World? Peter Weir? Yes. <laughs> Mission Impossible 1? Um, Brian De Palma? <laughs> yes. I didn't think you'd get that <laughs> yeah. one because it's kind of random. Yeah, like yeah. Brian De Palma, Mission yeah. Impossible 1? Thank you. Well done. You did very, very Ooh. well. That was the new game. Guess the movie director. Guess the movie director from the. I think you missed two, maybe two or three. Yeah, I think I dropped one each round. I think there. I tried to throw it. Like I said to you before, I've got some ones in there where you definitely know all of those films. I bet you didn't like, expect me to know the Peter Weir one. I didn't think you'd know the director of Mummy '99. Yeah, even really? though we both love that film, but yeah. you did. You did really well. And then wow. Die Another Day is like super. I never. Yeah, yeah. Horry. Good game. Thank you. I want to do that again. We should do it again. Let me. Let us know if you enjoyed it. Um, but thank you very much. That is all we have for you today. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of podcast. Don't forget, we publish new episodes of this show every single Wednesday. Exactly, guys. And you know the drill. Sometimes we release extra content as well, but also follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Like, by now, if you go on Instagram, you'll see stuff from the Crown premiere. Yeah, we we're going to be there with black tie. Suited and booted. If you haven't seen it, we'll oh, be all suited. Wearing the actual crown. I'll be arm in arm with Elizabeth Debicki and Imelda Staunton. We, we'll have the champagne round like this. We'll go, oh, Dominic <laughs> West will be going, George, George, George. I'll say, Dominic, I don't have the Dominic, time. I'm sorry, I'm, mate. I'm so busy. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Can't come on the show. <laughs> Uh, go check that out yeah please go check it out and as ever guys we really appreciate your support uh, give us a like a subscribe uh, a comment a thumbs up tell a friend um, about it tell a friend share it to a friend send a link shout about it on your social media we really really appreciate it and we love hearing your correspondence come in uh, it's, it's why we do it see you next week thank you